From Relay FM, this is Upgrade episode 242. Today's show is brought to you by Borrow, Text Expander, and Moo. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason Snow. Hi, Mike. I brought the lasers. Wait, we ask Upgrade already? What's happened? Nope, I just had some extra lasers there. Yep. Oh, okay, good. Well, should we just should we start where we normally start with a hashtag Snow Talk question? Oh, well, I was I was tempted to say why don't we do the entire show backward, but let's not. Let's start with the let's do it the normal way. I will say that is a tantalizing prospect Mike, for me. Summer of fun. Yeah, can you write that one down? I want to do a backwards episode. Backwards episode. <laughs> it's downgrade. Oh, there it is. We're working this out on the show. We can't give away all of our secrets. Summer of oh. fun is, is coming. Summer of fun is coming soon. Sooner than you may think. Our hashtag snail talk question today comes from Jim. And Jim wants to know, Jason, how is your life with your leaf going? Better, worse, or as expected for range and practicality? Worth noting, a leaf is Jason's electric it's, car. It's an electric car, the Nissan Leaf. Yes, mm-hmm. I bought a, for those who don't know, um, so excited about the uh, you know prospect of getting an electric car, but I'm cheap. And so I bought a used, that uh, Nissan Leaf that had come off a lease uh, that somebody had had it on for three years or something like that. And so it's older and it doesn't have much range. And I love it. Um, it is a, it doesn't have much range. It, the bottom line is you cannot drive it very far. Mm-hmm. But we bought it as a, as a, as much as I hate to say this, third car because my daughter basically um, has one of the cars <laughs> and uh-huh. it, and she drives around with it. And that's great. Um and we thought that this originally this was going to be the car that we let her use and we were going to get rid of the other car. But um, quite honestly, we love the car so much that that wasn't going to happen. So Jamie drives the Civic around and we uh, Lauren drives the Leaf every day to work. She works in our town. And so the range doesn't matter. We take it whenever we can. So within our county or like into San Francisco, we can take it. Um, I will take it uh, longer ranges if there's charging on the other end that I can count on. So I take it up to Petaluma for Twit because there's an electric car charger across the street from the Twit offices that I use. Um, It's fun to drive. Um, It's fun driving an electric car. I enjoy driving an electric car. um, And the only challenge with it is because we were cheap and got an electric car for cheap, it doesn't have much range. And so that does limit us. We have that's why we still have the minivan the minivan doesn't get driven very much anymore um, but it gets driven when we need to take lots of people somewhere or we need to load a bunch of stuff in the back because the seats fold down or if we need range and then we take the minivan but um, otherwise it's the electric car it's great i want all my vehicles to be electric but that's not going to happen for quite a while probably but uh for now uh it's it's i think it was a very very good um move to to buy this used electric car because it gives us kind of the goodness of the electric car with uh without a a big cost and um at a weird time when we have this kind of with the extra driver in the house and uh and also it satiates some of my desire some of my my fascination with other electric cars it would have been like last year when they when they started uh, uh aggressively marketing like the the tesla uh, three and 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 a bunch of things happen with uh, different rebates and things like that. Anyway, there there were several times where I thought to myself, you know, if I didn't have an electric car, I would be uh, buying an electric car right now. And I was I'm quite happy to have uh, gone the cheaper route and got the got the discount. Uh, right, bargain, if you would have done it, car. you would have found it difficult to resist at that. Well, point, those cars right? those cars are all like thirty, thirty five, forty thousand dollars, and mm-hmm. and 
we bought our ours for like eight or nine thousand dollars. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's this is this is smarter. Thank you so much to Jim for sending in that question. If you would like to help us open a future episode of Upgrade, just send out a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk and your uh, question may be considered for future use. We should move on to some follow-up uh, on Photoshop for the iPad, which we spoke about in Ask Upgrade last week. Where is it? Well, we heard from Upgradian Jay, who says that his team was told at Adobe Max that it's looking like a fall 2019 release for the program, which we'd also kind of speculated as a possibility, right? That it would be released later in the year, um, post uh, iOS 13 coming out, right? Because it's like, oh, I bet there's some stuff in there that would be super useful to Adobe, but they can't release it yet because of it. Um, so, or maybe that's it, or maybe Adobe's just taking their time. But uh, yeah, Adobe seems to be telling people if they ask at Adobe Max, at least, the fall of the of this year. Sounds good. Uh, Jason, you reviewed some new Kindles, um, and I wanted to ask you, uh, kind of like one, <laughs> I don't know anything about these new Kindles, what makes these new Kindles new, and uh, <laughs> these things just appear on six colors, and I never feel like I heard them before, and then I wanted to kind of understand from you, uh, considering there are a couple of new Kindles in the lineup, what you recommend to people now as like the Kindle to buy for most people. All right, so the super short, the TLDR uh, Kindle segment here. I like the Kindle because it's a unitasker. It just is for reading. I don't get any push notifications. I don't have uh, the temptation to swipe over and check out Twitter. Um, it is really great in bright sunlight. Um, they all light themselves now, so you can also read them in the dark, and that works too. Um, I think it's a great product. I love it. I, I don't, I'm not interested in reading on my iPhone or my iPad. I will do that if I'm uh, somewhere without my Kindle, but otherwise I, I won't do that. Um, the new Kindles are um, the two lower-end models. The high-end Oasis remains and will presumably be upgraded at a, at a later date. Um, but the uh, two new models, there's a new ten, uh, $90. That's the new base price. It's up from $80 uh, Kindle. But the new base model Kindle um, is the first base model to have um it's not backlighting, it's lighting. It's like side LEDs on the sides yeah. that kind of shoot out and, and light it because these are reflective screens. They're like like ink on paper. And so you can't shine something from the back, but you can shine you can shine something from the sides and it works pretty well. And this is big because it, up to now, the base Kindle, the cheap Kindle, couldn't light itself. And um, it's been like uh, seven years since they added that feature to the first Paperwhite. And um, it's really dumb <laughs> to have a, an electronic reading device that you have to clip a book light to in order to read it at night. That's It's silly. So that's over now, um, which makes that base model, I think, much more capable. Still, you know, it feels cheap. It's cheap um, and yet more expensive than it used to be. Um, but it, it, if you're somebody who is kind of mildly interested in having a Kindle to keep around or, uh, you know, take on a vacation or something like that, uh, this is the Casey Liss test, I would say. This is, I always think about Casey because he's like, well, I'm interested in a Kindle, but not most of the time, just occasionally on a vacation or something. At least that Kindle, that cheap Kindle now, um, will light itself, which I think is a big plus. It's not waterproof, though. I find um, in my life filtering a lot of my questions around what would Casey want What would Casey me. do? Yeah. yeah. Um, the, so the Kindle Paperwhite also got an update. It's $130, so you know it's $40 more than the base model. And what you get with that is a much better screen. The base model Kindle's got like a 160 DPI screen or something like that. It is, there's, in my review, you can see it. Like, it's lower contrast and it's, the text is more jaggy. Um, the Paperwhite, you get 
uh, basically retina level text resolution, uh, higher contrast. It's backlighting or side lighting is better. It's waterproof. Um, and it's, uh, it doesn't have any, um, bezel stuff, uh, where, where like the bezel is, it's like this on the cheap model, the screen is sunken beneath the bezel and a lot of like detritus, like a lot of dust and crumbs and junk get caught in the corners and the paper white is flat all the way across now, which is really nice. Uh, that's a nice, uh, much nicer feel. So it's, it's nicer. And, uh, and if you love, 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 love Kindles, then spend, you know, almost twice as much and get the Oasis because it's great. It's just way more expensive than the Paperwhite. And I think most people should buy the Paperwhite if you're in the market for a Kindle because it is with the waterproof and the flat front and, you know, it, it, it and the better backlighting and the better display. I think it's still the sweet spot and it has been. However, that cheap Kindle is, I think there's a much better case to be made for the cheap Kindle than before. Even though the screen isn't as good, the resolution isn't as nice. If you don't care so much and you you just you know you're either not going to get a Kindle or you're going to get the cheapest one around. Um, I, I'm I'm more inclined to say that people can get that one now that you can also read it in bad lighting or in the dark. That is a big uh, improvement. That's a, kind of a huge improvement. That's the number one I think required feature of a Kindle. So I'm glad they finally added it. Um, I recently watched a video about e-ink, which I found interesting. Um, I learned a bunch of stuff about e-ink that I didn't know before. It's from a YouTube channel called Technology Connections, which is a channel that Marco recommended, uh, which I do really love. So if you are interested in learning more about e-ink in general, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's an interesting video. This The guy uh, who hosts this channel, uh, Te- Technology Connections, I actually don't know his name. It's Mr. Connections. Mr. Connections, technology yep. to his friends. Uh, he does an incredible job of making what should be incredibly boring things really interesting. Um, he's a very, very good presentation style. That is an important skill. Yeah, because the stuff that he talks about, right? Like if you just look at his channel, should be really boring. But he does it. He just presents everything in an incredibly good way. Like he yeah. did just did like this did this whole massive series about how the laser disc players work. <laughs> it's just like uh, I don't know how much you could get out of that, but really, really entertaining. Yeah, um, cool. and e ink is a fascinating thing because it is not like any other display no. technology. It is it is really emulating ink on paper. Yes, it's not just a funny. It's not just a funny name. It is, it is, and that's why it works the way it does, where it's reflective, where it is like the light comes down and hits the surface and reflects back in, and that's how you see it, as opposed to OLED or or backlighting, where the light is coming out of the display at you instead of uh, and originating in the display instead of sort of bouncing off and coming up to your eyes. It's a, and that that's one of the things I like about it. I think the e-ink displays are great um, for for reading text on a page, which is what I use a Kindle for. Apple and Qualcomm had been in some kind of legal battle over patents and payments and all this kind of stuff for a while. And fried chicken. Don't forget fried chicken. Yep. And this is not a thing that we tend to cover on the show. I mean, mostly because I don't think... So I never put it in the show because I don't think I can make an interesting discussion out of that type of stuff. So that's why we don't talk about it. But they've settled now. I think we may have talked about it at one point, just in the idea of like, is 5G going to come to the iPhone, and when is it going to come to the iPhone? Because there, there was a whole period there where they like they flew mm-hmm. 
they flew journalists out to like Hawaii yeah. and did this whole demo of 5G. You know, I actually think we have yet to speak about this. Yeah, and I might have talked about it on download. I wrote a piece about it a mm-hmm. while ago for Tom's Guide too, yep. where I said essentially, I wonder if I talked about this with John Syracuse back in December. I wonder if I did that and when you weren't around. Yes. Mike's gone. We can talk about that's, modems. That's when it's been spoken about on the show. You spoke that's a little right. bit about Never. it. Never. And I have notes. Never mention modems to Mike. I want to talk about 5G on this show. So, hey, everybody, uh, welcome to our new segment, Mike and the Modems, where every week (laughs) we're going to talk about modems with Mike Hurley. (laughs) I'm I'm hearing that Mike Hurley has just left the show. Oh, well. Um, Anyway, the the important point here is that um, Apple has has been in a patent dispute with Qualcomm for a long time, and last week uh, they settled. And nobody really knows why, but it, it has to do with Intel. It sounds like either Intel said we're not going to be able to do uh, 5G modems anytime soon. We keep It keeps slipping. You're probably not going to be able to ship it until 2021. That's a long ways away, right? Like 2021. We're not talking about this fall's iPhones. We're talking about next fall's iPhones not having the 5G networking because of Intel. Um, it's also possible that what Intel said was, hey, we have a new CEO and uh, we've looked at this business and it doesn't make any sense to have you as a client. So um, go get your modem somewhere else. We're going to shut shut her down, <laughs> right? We don't know which order maybe that happened, but regardless, it's sort of about Intel's either unwillingness or inability to ship these modems. Intel shut down its modem business last week in the aftermath of the Apple Qualcomm sh- settlement. Again, these these things are not unconnected, but we don't know necessarily all the deals. They will presumably come out in time. Um, but uh, they, a trial started in San Diego. They got through a morning where there was a labored fried chicken metaphor about how patents are like fried chicken. I don't really want to get into it. It was hilariously weird. And then suddenly they they settled. And so it sounds like in the background, Apple has been negotiating for a little while with Qualcomm about a settlement, which usually happens before the trial starts. Uh, but it, it actually happened on day one of the trial. I would expect that like everybody, they don't have the conversations, right? Apple knew what Qualcomm wanted. Apple weren't happy, but they knew the terms. And then when Intel, my expectation is then Intel said to them, we can't do this. So then Apple were like, well, damn it. (laughs) At least we know what Qualcomm wants. (laughs) Yeah, well, there was that Fast Company story that Mark Sullivan wrote a little while ago that was pretty good that basically said um, Apple's between a rock and a hard place here because they're not talking to Qualcomm and Intel's dates are are slipping. And, you know, beyond a certain point, Intel is saying we can't get you a modem for the iPhone in 2020. And if you're Apple, you're like, this is not going to this is not going to work because they're essentially, you know, how Apple hates being tied to one supplier for anything Uh, because of their dispute with Qualcomm. They only have one supplier and it was Intel. There is a quick solution there, which is to settle with Qualcomm. And then you've got the patent holder and also the supplier of the modems that uh, everybody else is using more or less. And so they made that deal and they paid them money and they licensed their patents. And the Qualcomm is going to supply modems for future iPhones, probably not this year, although it's not entirely impossible but probably next year for a for a 5g iphone um, the 5g tech will is also really early and not rolled out very many places and it's going to be a long rollout so i don't my tom's guide piece uh, a few months ago was basically like it's not a big deal if the iphone doesn't have 5g in 2019 it's sort of like like how the original iphone didn't have 3g it's like it was early days it wasn't a huge deal um going th- going into 2021 still not having one not so great, right? Just, I mean, it will become a marketing liability if nothing else. So uh, this gets them in, uh, you know, with the 
patents of Qualcomm and working with Qualcomm in the short term. And uh, presumably in the long term, Apple's plan is still to build its own modems, but it will have access to the patents. You know, it will have a licensing regime for Qualcomm's patents that they that they would use in building those modems. And there's I've even seen speculation that uh, it, it's unclear if perhaps Apple might be interested in buying some of the assets from Intel since Intel is getting out of the modem business and Apple is getting into it. Uh, but I, th- I, th- I think that's just been speculation. But uh, so anyway, it, basically what this means is that Apple is returning to the premier provider of modems in cell cellular devices and they've settled you know for huge amounts of money they have settled all of their lawsuits yep. against one another that they have been you know they, they had a long falling out that is now over but probably the most important part of the settlement is that apple have a patent licensing agreement so at some point they will be able to make their own chips if they want to right i think exactly. that's, that's like the key part of it which they do. Well, in the short term, the key part is that they're going to be able to use Qualcomm's Yes, chips. exactly. But like if you're looking at the long game. Yep. Yeah, it's true. And I, I just, as a little aside here, boy, Intel, right? Like, cool. What okay. are you doing, man? You know, they, they missed the boat Ooh. on mobile. They've missed the boat on modems. You know, they're, they're, they're still shipping things for, for PCs. Uh, but, you know, they're, they have issues on the PC. They have issues with GPUs. They're like, it's... um. You know, it's it's not a great time. It, it is. This is the kind of thing that happens where the very slowly over time, the previously impossible to stop monolith in some industry, um, you know, becomes mortal. And, uh, it, you know, it, they made a series of bad steps that the new CEO has inherited and is trying to trying to fix. And, and that's why I am, you know, I think it's entirely possible that this all started with the new CEO saying, look, we're not going to do this. Um, we, we give up because we're not just going to, you know, Apple's business isn't big enough to keep us in this business. And we have bigger fish to fry, honestly, somewhere else because they're in trouble on a lot of fronts. Yeah, because it's worth remembering, like, if you don't pay too much attention to it, like, Whilst with our Apple computers, Intel is the only supplier for the chips that we use in them, that is not the case in the PC world, right? Like, you can get an AMD processor, where they have actual competition, credible competition, on the other side of things, and they're starting to fall behind in a bunch of different ways for the future. It's like, um, it's like a way people will talk about Microsoft and have spoken about Microsoft for years, right? Microsoft are perfectly fine where they yeah. are right now, but they're not at the forefront of anything, and that's a problem. Yeah, except that they are making headway in in cloud services stuff. Yeah, which I mean, gives like them I'm growth, thinking maybe more path. kind of. Sorry, I should have rephrased it a little bit. A little bit more before Satya Nadella's time, right? Where like yes, yes, you know, yes. Where where now it's like they've, we're, they've we're still focused. big in our old thing, but where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. And there are no there are no answers. And Microsoft has managed to navigate that, and that does feel like that's kind of where where Intel is. But there was a time when Wintel was impossible it. to stop that right it. but yeah time moves on anyway that's mike at the modems Woo! mike at the modems everyone's favorite new segment um mm. now we will move on to everyone's actual favorite segment which is upstream where we look at news and streaming media and have a couple of things for you this week jason uh hulu has bought back at&t's 10 percent stake in the company now this is kind of confusing it took me a minute to get my head around this so hulu the company has bought back 10 percent that AT&T owned in it. Yes. These shares now need to be divided between Disney and Comcast who own Hulu. 
And that has to be worked out between Disney and Comcast how that 10% is going to be split up. Yeah, I assumed that it would be this thing where it would be proportional. And what that would mean is that Disney owns two thirds of Hulu and Comcast owns one third. But in talking to people who are more closely reporting on this, what I have heard is that it's a little more complicated. That seems the most logical outcome. But it may be that there are actually rules in Hulu's, um, you know, rule book for investors that provide like one of the investors an option to buy, you know, buy that out mm-hmm. um, and the other ones to choose. So there there may be a choice involved. Like, so for example, um, uh, Comcast could say we, because they have the smaller allotment, we want the whole 10%. Yeah. Or maybe it's that Disney gets to say, no, 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 we're going to just put in and we're going to take this whole 10%. Or maybe it's just a very simple kind of like, we bought it back, it's a share buyback, uh, that 10% disappears and you go from owning 30% to owning 33.3%. Yep. And you go from owning 60% Disney to owning 66.6%. But regardless, it means there are now only two players. This was this, this AT&T thing was this weird outstanding bit. Yep. It was inevitable that it was going to happen. It was just about yes. when and how. Because they don't they it's not part of their strategy at all. No. Whereas Comcast, it's unclear. Um what I've what I've heard, the analysis that I've heard is that uh, although it would seem obvious that that uh Disney would buy out Comcast share in Hulu and just take it over completely, that Disney can't by having a seat on the board, even though they're not the majority stake, the way that Hulu's bylaws are written, Comcast gets a say in how Hulu is run, which is interesting. <laughs> it means Comcast gets a view into Disney's streaming business at Hulu, which is also really interesting. So there's this question of like, at what point do they want to not be in bed with Disney, their arch competitor anymore? Uh, and, and until that point, do they want to keep Hulu because it already exists? You know, it, it's where their shows are. They, you know, it's part of their strategy too. And they can kind of watch Disney at work in the meantime. But it's hard to believe they they said they're going to launch their own streaming service in early uh, 2020. It's hard to believe that in the long run, Comcast is going to want to stay with Hulu because they're going to have another service that they want to feed content into. And this one, they're a minority stakeholder to their arch rival. I I really, I mean, just my take on it, which is based on no real knowledge. It just feels to me, it's like Comcast, Comcast will run this out until they can get the most money out of Disney possible. Because as this continues, like everybody knows Disney's plans for Hulu. And right, because yeah. Disney's told people what their plans are, and I feel like that Disney will not be able to live out their real vision for Hulu as a service. Is this is where we put all the stuff we can't show to kids? Uh, I, I think that they want it. But if you're NBC Universal and you've got your catalog of content and you are launching your own streaming service, yep. at some point. The the pressure to leave is that you need to get your stuff off of Hulu and put it yes. on your own thing. Yeah, AT&T leaving made a lot of sense because they're doing their own thing and they yeah. also need the money because AT&T have a lot of debt. And that's basically yeah. what they've said. They're going to use the money and they're just going to pay off some debts with it. And also, mm-hmm. like, at 10%, they had no real say and you're just going to have these two big, huge companies, Disney and Comcast, probably fighting for the next five years. It was right. probably worth AT&T's time to just take the money and run while it was valuable. Um, but yeah, this is like, it's very clear that Disney wants this. This is, this is another step in making it easier for them, but they do not have an easy road ahead because Comcast is giving no indication that they want to sell. (laughs) So it's a, it's a, it's a negotiation. I think that that is happening and whether it's active or not, that is basically the idea is like, how much is it worth to Disney? How much is it worth to Comcast? Um, 
but I, I do think Disney knows that there's a ticking clock because Disney knows that Comcast needs to launch its own thing. And Disney is willing with all the stuff that they've bought from Fox. They have so much content that Hulu has to exist for them. Comcast, it's not really in that same situation. They're going to launch something that is appreciably similar to Hulu. And they're going to need content for it. So, uh, you know, Disney, Comcast wants to escalate in terms of the price that it gets out of Disney. Uh, and Disney knows there's a ticking clock. And we'll see who blinks first. In some, I think, fantastic news, uh, YouTube has ordered the Retro Tech series from Marquez Brownlee. Um, after a successful pilot, which featured Marquez looking at the Game Boy on the Game Boy's 30th anniversary, which is actually available, you can watch it right now on, on MKBHD's YouTube channel, uh, they have gone ahead and ordered a season of this show, it was basically a pilot, um, in which he will effectively unbox and review classic technology products. The show is being produced in collaboration with MKBHD and Vox Media and will debut in 2019 on MKBHD's YouTube channel. This is not, uh, even though this is an, a YouTube original series, it is not going to be a part of any of YouTube's premium efforts. This will just be on MKBHD's channel. But this is a restructuring of what YouTube is doing in the original space. They're basic, they've basically gutted YouTube premium of the content that they were making and buying. They're keeping around some successful stuff and they're putting more money into uh, education and music. I am pleased that this is a sign that YouTubers realized what their actual asset is, which is YouTubers, not celebrities. Like this is a, I think, positive sign because I would have been very happy as a YouTube premium subscriber to pay for this, like to have this show. Was like, Or I would have signed up for MKBHD's show if I hadn't already. Um, so it's interesting to me that they are making it available for free when it clearly would have been a, a good show that people would want to pay for. But I am just pleased to see YouTube going back to realizing what they actually have that other people don't have. Yeah, imagine YouTube paying money to YouTubers to make more content for their YouTube channels. Can you imagine? Instead of, you know, paying Will for scripted TV that's behind it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep, yep. So I think it's great. Plus, I love MKBHD and Plus, this series is MKBHD awesome. MKBHD is great. And I yes. just want to see him succeed because he's so cool and I'm a mm -hmm. big fan of his. And so, yeah, that it was just great. I loved the, the thing because he'd never, he'd never played a game. He never played with a Game Boy before, uh, which is just wild to me. So, yeah, I, I think it's really cool. It's a very, very good, um, very good video. Lots of like interviews and stuff. It's really well, well really, really well made. And it's kind of funny to me because like I look at it and it's like, I bet they did. YouTube didn't even need to spend that much money on this because he already has all the setup, right? Sure. Because he makes, he makes these incredibly well. Like, he, you know, I'm sure that I would like to think that he got a good deal out of it, but it's not like they needed to hire a specific crew, I would assume, right? Or like they didn't need to build sets because he has it all. It's just like, this is what makes sense, right? If you're YouTube. This is way cheaper than Cobra Kai is, right? And right. probably is going to do better for you in the long run. So I, I'm pleased to see this. This is what it started as. And then YouTube got high on its own supply and thought that they could be Disney or whatever, right? Like, oh, we'll just pay a bunch of celebrities to make a bunch of stuff and we'll buy movies. And it didn't work. So I hope that this will work for them. And this is like a, a re reschedule, like a refocusing of what they of what they're doing in the space. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Moo, an online print and design company that offers a variety of premium print products, including business cards, postcards, notebooks, and more. And they deliver to happy customers all over the world. Networking is an incredibly important part of any career. Whether you're a designer, a novelist, a podcaster, a writer, a CEO, an app developer, it doesn't matter what you do. You don't want to be in a situation where you're caught out by not having a business card when you need one. You can be prepared and show your creativity by having your business cards made with Moo. Great design is at the heart of what Moo does, and there is nothing like a slick, well-made business card. But not only do their stuff look amazing and feel amazing, it's easy to design and order because Move business cards offer a ton of special touches. They have a great system on their website that allows you to, you can choose from stuff that they've made. You can upload your own artwork. It's super easy to do. And then they offer a bunch of special touches, gold foiling and spot gloss, which will allow your artwork to really pop from the card. They're thick textured paper, which really gives a high quality, memorable business card experience. It's wonderful to see your work on our screen, but I will say it's even nicer to hold it in your hand. I have Relay FM business cards from Moo, and I really love them. I think they're so beautiful. It's really nice to see the logos and the artwork that we produced on these beautiful business cards. You can count on Moo to then help you make that great first impression. Whether you need those business cards for that all-important first meeting, customized flyers for an upcoming event, or even stickers, greeting cards, postcards, or notebooks. They have soft cover and hard cover notebooks, which you can customize with your own brand if you're ordering over 50. I love their notebooks. I am a notebook person. As everybody may know about me, I'm a big pen and paper nerd. And their hardcover and softcover notebooks are wonderful. They've, they're really well made. They're full of like really interesting features. And I am a big fan of the hardcover, which has sewn binding and this wonderful cover that opens out completely flat. Really excellent quality stuff. Whatever you need, Moo have you covered with their easy customization options. And you can get 15% off your order right now when you go to Moo.com. That's M-O-O.com. And use the promo code PRINT15 at checkout. That is Moo.com and the promo code P-R-I-N-T-1-5, PRINT15. Our thanks to Moo for their support of Upgrade and all of Relay FM. Moo, let's get physical. So, Jason, last week when we spoke about Guillermo Rambo's... Uh, leaks about iOS 13. Little did we know on Monday that it was going to start a weeks-long set of stories. Uh, not So not to reveal too much behind the curtain, but after our episode dropped, I got a Twitter DM from someone who is not Guy Rambo who basically said, oh, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I, I, I tip <sighs> my cap to Guy Rambo and 9to5Mac for doing this. I think this yep. was genius. It would have been very easy for them to write a huge whiz-bang story with a bunch Single of interesting story. layout, right? And be like, oh, look at this. We have all the details. But instead, they have just been pumping out stories. And it was like, still happened. I think there was still one yesterday. I don't think there's been anything today. Uh, maybe no, that's last it. time I checked. Maybe it's every day between now and WWDC. I don't know. <laughs> it's just like a little tidbit. Eventually, they just start publishing one word a day as we get into June, and then you can just build up to a big story. Um, but so what we're going to do is I want to touch on all of these stories, just so we've got like a full, complete system. We're, some of them we're not going to talk about in detail because they're effectively a week old. You've heard them in other places. Uh, but there might be a few things we want to touch on within them. And then there is some stuff which... Uh, I don't think either of us uh, have had the opportunity to talk about 
at all yet. So um, it's well, I think we'll go. I think we're going to go chronologically with these, and we'll start with a uh, Find My Friends revamp. So creating a new app to merge Find My iPhone and Find My Friends to put them all into one place. Um, Apple will look to increase the app's overall functionality. Um, makes sense, I think, to have all of this stuff in one place. I didn't realize that it was weird that they weren't until I saw this story. It's like, oh, it probably all should be in the same application, right? Yeah, yeah. It always feels weird to me when um, we have something that's like, where is this particular device located? And I have to open Find My Phone because um, I usually, you know, we use Find Friends to keep track of like our family members mm-hmm. and other people. Um, but Find My find my friends there is a primary location device that is attached to each apple id whereas find my iphone is device based so one of the things they'll have to do if they merge these together is kind of create the scenario where you've got like a person and where they are and then also like within that where your if it's one of your people where the devices are so there's complexity here because they were really made for two very different reasons but i agree that it's dumb to have two uh, different things that are doing largely the same thing with, you know, there's reasons why they're, they are the way they are, but I, having it all in one place makes sense. Cause it is very weird. I used to find my friends so often and it is very strange to be like, Oh, I need to find where my wife's iPad is. Yeah. Right. And that's not her primary location device. So find my friends, isn't going to do it, but for my, find my iPhone, I can find the iPad's location. I can, you know, lock it, I can send, uh, you know, make it make a loud noise so that we can find it, which is the killer feature there. Um, And uh, so that'll all have to get kind of like, that'll move together, apparently. But in this report, it also mentions the possibility of Apple creating a Bluetooth-enabled tracking device like a tile. So like these are these little, there's one called Tracker. They're like these little things of basic keyring size that have got Bluetooth low-energy chips in them so you can help find your devices. so in theory, you could attach the Apple version of this to anything, any product, and then it would be showing up in this application. Do you think that this is a product that Apple would actually make? Uh, I'm wondering if this code name is referring to an internal device that they have made to test an API to make available for HomeKit-like devices. Yeah, I... If they're not, I think I said this on uh, another podcast last week, but forgive me for for repeating myself, but uh, if they're not going to make airport base stations, why are they going to make NFC Bluetooth Bluetooth LED tags, right? Like, wouldn't it be better to have a certification program and some hardware partners? This makes a lot of sense as a HomeKit product to me. Right. Like that, yeah. you would say to companies like Tile, you can keep doing your thing, but you can also integrate with us now, and then you're gonna do have all the features that a HomeKit app, well, a HomeKit thing would get. Um, but I don't know. I don't know uh, f- for this thing specifically. I don't know exactly what Guy Rambo knows, right? So, like in the report, is the company is working on a new hardware product known only as B three eight nine by the people involved in its development. Catchy, um, catchy name. But that that I you know, but the, I don't know what that means, right? Like, yeah, they could actually be working on a new hardware product, but that doesn't mean that it's ever intended to ship, unless he knows that that's the case. But if he does, he does not state that in the article, right? Like, there is no def- definitive thing of whether this does or does not exist for the public, and or what the the 
potentially what it will be for. You know, he references what the product is. Yeah. But I, c- I can read this in a couple of different ways. It could also be that, that they, um, I think two possibilities here. One is they've got a hardware partner and it's a little bit like how there were those Logitech things that came out for the smart keyboard mm-hmm. on day one. Or the, the pencil thing, the crayon. Yeah, exactly. So so there are companies where Apple has worked with them in advance with technology, right? Like yep. it's not the case that new tech from Apple is always just unveiled with nobody knowing about it. Mm-hmm. That does happen, but it doesn't always happen. And you would expect Apple has their own hardware team that works on that alongside the external partners as well, right? I also think that it's not impossible that sometimes, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'll just throw it out there, that sometimes Apple builds a reference piece of hardware it would not surprise me if they handed that to a partner and said, look, we built what we think is the fundamental hardware for this product. Yeah. Here. Here's a reference we don't want to make it. Yeah, like this you, is not you, in our you business. Make it. But you can have this. <laughs> I don't know whether they like literally hand a product to Logitech and say, if you want to make this, go ahead. We're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, or whether uh, they just say, can you come in and look at this spec and, and work with us on something? But uh, the the result is very similar, which means that Apple wouldn't necessarily have to make it if they don't want to be in the business of making this product. I think the question is, is there a standard here or is this just going to be like it only works with Apple products? Because if there's an existing standard, sometimes they could use that and kind of subvert it. I think Bluetooth, it's using Bluetooth LE, right? Presumably to do all of this. Has to, yeah. Yeah. So the other big thing about this is that you remember from like Tile and things like that, like the idea that you want to have it so that if other devices see the ID of the tag, yep. uh, like if you lose your, your bag at the airport, but somebody else is there with with the Tile app or whatever it is, it can see it. And then it uploads it to the server and says, oh, I saw that thing here at this yeah, time. That's like building this big mesh network, basically. So even if, even though it's like by Bluetooth, right, in theory, you can still find the device if you're outside of range. Right. And it still could be privacy because it's like, you know, it's just a, an ID. Yeah. I spot it at a place. It gets uploaded to a server and then only the people with that ID can see that information. But, uh, you know, if you sell a few thousand of something, that network is is super spotty and not very mm-hmm. good, and it's like you you got to be really lucky. But if every iPhone running <laughs> iOS thirteen a billion <laughs> a billion then you don't devices. need GPS on these things, right? <laughs> yep. Because the iPhones that have GPS will see them, log them, and send them back, and suddenly you'll know where your device is. That's yeah. really that competitive advantage is a reason for them to make it right. And it's not a new idea at all, but it's an idea that works way better if you're Apple than mm-hmm. if you're a, a little scrappy third party. Yep, because you would assume these little things start screaming in Bluetooth language to anything around them, right? And then it can pass the information back to you somehow. Yeah. Like that. But my gut feeling is, is that Apple's not going to make this thing, right? Like I, I just, I, I feel like, th- why would they do it? They, yep. they'll, they'll, they'll say, hey, it uses the spec. Here's how you build these things. Here's our hardware partners. Good luck. That makes way more sense to me. But, but we'll say, I mean. It's, it's a product that they would easily be able to sell to pretty much every iPhone owner. I mean, I don't know, right? Like, this is this is that question of, like, is Apple in 2019 exactly the company we think they are? Because, yes, it feels like that they wouldn't make that, but they also could make that if they wanted to make a bunch of money from people. I could make the argument that it's primarily a feature to find Apple devices. And only secondarily is it a feature for other things. So mm-hmm. what they do is they build this thing and they say, well, look, using all of this tech, including Bluetooth LE, on our, you know, on AirPods and on all of our devices that we make, we have the ability to do this. And 
if some other products or whether they're like other products like headphones or whatever, or whether it's a thing that you stick on something, if they want to follow our rules, it will also work for those, right? Where the primary goal is to make it better to find your AirPods. But the secondary goal is you can use this tech with partners to find other things. That that sounds like a way that Apple might differentiate it and say, like, we don't really want to be in the bu- business of selling little Bluetooth tags uh, and supporting them and all of those things. But we want it for this. And this enables that. So the other thing was lunar display-like functionalities. And it's the headline, codename Sidecar, this macOS functionality would allow for uh, a user to be able to, quote, uh, send any window of an app to an external display. The external display can be an actual external display connected to the Mac or even an iPad. Um, so this will be built into existing the existing Maximize button on macOS, the, the green one, to basically you would get a new view to either send an app to full screen to tile it so you could split it up with other apps on the Mac or send to an external display. Um, I'm... Luna Display is a thing. So, okay probably should say here lunar display existing sponsor of relay fm future sponsor of this show you know like just make that point abundantly clear Mm -hmm. um i feel like for me this is an easy way to describe it i don't think it's gonna be like lunar display where like a lunar display is mirroring a display i don't it doesn't feel like that to me to me this feels like if you make a marzipan app and you can it's like beefing up continuity in some way that you can send the window that you're looking at to another device but I don't feel like it'd be mirroring it. Like it, you would just send it there. I don't I, know. What do you think? Tell me what you think. So, so the way Luna Display and a lot of these other uh, screen sharing apps work is that they're emulating a monitor. They're emulating an external display. And so you, you know, like I've got one running right now, actually, and I've got Audio Hijack and Skype on uh, my old iPad. Um, but I've got it on the left side. I can't put it on the right side because that's where my dock is, and it, it would affect the geometry of my of my desktop setup. And it can't. It can only be in horizontal. It can't be in vertical because Luna Display doesn't support that. There's like all of these little quirks about it. Uh, some of which are because it's uh, a full-on emulated display. The Mac thinks another display, hardware display, is attached, which is not quite it. So what I, when I look at this, I think, well, this is interesting because this is maybe what Apple is going to do is take Mac OS and sort of abstract the concept, and potentially iOS too, I will say, abstract the concept of uh, external view ports uh, from the base concept of a plugged-in external display, or at least change the way it, it, it handles that stuff. This is sort of how I read this, like the idea that you're sending a window, like I can drag a window onto an external display and hit yeah. it into full screen today. So I'm sort of viewing this as being something like, yeah, like you said continuity, like using things like continuity to make it easier in the UI, however it's implemented behind the scenes, to say, hey, this audio hijack window, uh, send it over there, or this a Photoshop window, send it to that iPad, and then I can draw on it with my Apple Pencil. And I'm not running Photoshop on the iPad, I'm running it on the Mac. And that's what Luna Display was built for, right? Is It's built out of a company that was, the, the whole idea there was to make, uh, you know, use these great high-resolution touch devices with stylus support functional with Mac software. Mm-hmm. So I, it feels like, you know, maybe that's what it's going to, is just like, how, can we make this experience better with external devices, with the idea being that an iPad could make a great companion for a Mac, but 
right now it's a mess because you have to add third-party software and sometimes hardware. And, you know, then you're in this situation where the Mac thinks it's a whole monitor, which is probably not the, the fundamental use case where you just want to send a window. So, I mean, we'll see. It, the devil's in the details here. But it sounds like what bottom line is Apple is trying to make an effort to make it easier to push bits of the Mac out onto external displays, mm-hmm. uh, including iPads. And that, I think, is great. Yeah, I do too. Also, from a um, Sherlocking standpoint, I, w- I wanted to mention um, a lot of people are like, oh, watch out, Luna Display. And it's like, I don't know. You know, the history of Apple doing features like this is that they, they have a core feature that they want to hit that they think will appeal to a, a larger mass of people. And that everybody else who has particular needs will be dissatisfied with it and will go on using third-party versions. Yeah. Like, that, that seems to be what always happens. And in my mind, it's like one of the key differences is I expect you would be using it like an app at a time from Apple's feature, where on Lunar Display, you can just make it look like a completely external display. I I would be surprised to see Apple be like, your iPad is now just an external display for your Mac. Because I feel like from Apple's perspective, they may consider that of like devaluing the iPad. Right, but you can send a document or yeah. or an app or yeah. to it. Also, and I mentioned this when I said maybe from iOS too, and this came up in the chat room as well, like the logical extension of this, and this isn't in Girambo's report, so maybe it's something that doesn't happen for a while yet. But if you think about somebody like Federico Fatici, who has that 4K display that he attaches his iPad to, yep. this tech would work on the iPad theoretically too. The idea that you could take an app and say, put that over on that screen which is weird and not, you know, if it's not a touchscreen, there's questions about like how that would be supported, although there might be some answers there. But it's possible that you could get something beyond mirroring from iOS as well. Or even if you've got two iPads, I don't know, right? Like, why would you do that? I don't know. I'm just throwing out there that this might, everything, every Mac feature we hear about now, I feel like we have to say, this has got to be the equivalent of an ios feature down the road because that is where apple's going with this and the idea of sending things to different screens and stuff it actually lends into something that federico spoke about on connected last week which is that he had heard um that apple is looking to potentially bring some way to support mice input like cursor input on ios um, and that there's been some evidence of this. There are actually some devices, some accessibility devices that can already do it, but making this basically available to anyone if you can connect a mouse. That ties in here, right? Like imagine if you would send uh, your iPad screen to an external display more easily, you should be using a mouse. You know, like I- I've seen Federico use, like he sent me videos and stuff and he's he's put these in articles of him using uh, his iPad with the external display support that it has. And it just it doesn't seem like you know like for me you're still having to look down at the display. Yeah, you can you can you can write on it, but then the mo- moment you need to interact, you have to interact with the iPad laying in front of you yep. instead of the screen that you've been looking at all along. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's the the yeah Federico. That was a nice little bit of knowledge that he dropped after kind of holding it in reserve for a while. Um, the idea that it might be an accessibility feature, which would be I've said all along, like the people who want this really want it. And you don't have to force it on anyone else. And I don't think Apple ever would be like, well, we've got mouse support, so now everybody must use a mouse. That's not going to happen. So one of the great ways to do it is to say, well, there's an accessibility feature. And if you plug in a mouse, uh, you'll get a little prompt that says, do you want to turn on this feature? But nobody's going to use it, or most people aren't going to use it. And everybody else will be like, I'm turning that on right now, mm-hmm. the people who care. And it, and it's fine. Having it be not the default and that you have to flip a switch to make it work. I think everybody who's ever said, I want external device pointing device support, 
is happy to flip a switch in settings somewhere to do it. Like it doesn't need to be something that everybody is, uh, is, is given as a default. It just needs to be available. And then, yes, then you send things to a big screen, you attach a big screen to an iPad and you can have that, um, you can have that context switch. Plus if this feature were there, you could still like have a little, like have your Twitter on your iPad and then have the thing you're working on, on your 4k display. And that would actually work, which is fascinating. So, uh, we'll see strange times. Apple Watch authentication enhancements. There aren't too many details in this report um, other, to, other than to say that you'll be able to do uh, more with the authentication of the Apple Watch on your Mac. It's referred to as other functions. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you, Jason, if you, from your knowledge, of, if you use this, and, and I saw that on Six Colors you were saying that I do. You, you, know, you do use this feature, uh, where, is the, where is it lacking that Touch ID um, can currently do? And like, do you imagine Apple bringing those two things closer together? I think the way to think of it is where does Touch ID work now if you've got a laptop mm-hmm. with Touch ID? Because I don't. Well, I do. I have. There are a couple of MacBook Airs in the house, and um, and Lauren uses hers, and the other one I use, and and the kids use a little bit. And um, Touch ID is great, right? Touch ID is the best, and I think it gets lost with Touch ID. Kind of came out at the same time that people were getting the new keyboard, and they were getting the Touch Bar, and those are both very controversial. But Touch ID on the Mac. It's great. It could be better, but it's great that it's there. I love being on a, a MacBook Air and going to one password and just using my finger, right? Like all, all that biometric authentication stuff is great. But on desktop Macs or Macs that don't have Touch ID, it's, uh, you know, it's not that great. But I can use my watch to do Apple Pay and to wake my iMac from sleep without a password. So there's a little bit there, but what it doesn't do is extend to all the things that Touch ID can do. So the way I read this report is, well, what if there was an alternative authentication mechanism? What if the Apple Watch stuff and the Touch ID stuff were maybe like put together on the Mac where there's just biometric authentication and you can do it with Touch ID sensor or you can do it with your Apple Watch. So on my iMac Pro, I I would say 99% of the time when I wake up my iMac Pro, it you know from sleep or from uh from screen lock you know my my watch just taps me and it's open it's great um apple pay is less reliable <laughs> sometimes i authenticate by double tapping on my watch and it sits there for a very long time and then gives up other times it doesn't even try and it says i'm going to need your iphone which is hilarious because it's not even in the room with me and i have to go get it and bring it back it's like well this is super convenient um so there there's some work to be done there but I would love it if every time I unlocked one password on my iMac, it knew that I was wearing my watch and it was unlocked and it just unlocked one password and gave me a tap like when I wake up my screen. That would be amazing. And if I need to double tap or something like that on the watch, that would still be better than typing my password every time. Yeah, 100%. Not as good as laying my finger on the keyboard, but but pretty good. And And since there are lots of Macs that have external keyboards and things and there is no face id for the mac uh and 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 lots of us don't have touch id Macs. um this is a very smart way to add some more biometric stuff to the mac today's episode is brought to you by borrow there's nothing quite like getting home after a long day and collapsing onto the sofa to relax and that feeling is even better 
when you have a borrow, the luxury couch for real life. The borrow sofa was created by two students who thought that there must be a better way to buy furniture than the limited sofa showroom and the long delivery waits. That is why borrow will let you easily customize a high quality sofa online, which can be shipped for free in one week. Burrow were recently named one of the world's most innovative companies by Fast Company, and I'm sure this is why. They will let you build a sofa that suits you. You can choose from five fabrics, three leg finishes, two armrest styles, and any length. You can even add a chaise lounge or ottoman to your Burrow sofa. It is scratch and stain resistant, so you don't have to worry about spills. And it has a built-in USB charger, so you can charge your devices right from your sofa and live that perfect lazy life. It's made of high-quality materials like sustainably sourced hardwood instead of flimsy particle board, and they offer a curated selection of hand-woven pillows to help jumpstart your interior style. If you're in the market for a new sofa, give your living room an upgrade with Burrow. Get $75 off a new sofa and free one-week shipping by going to borrow.com slash upgrade. That is B-U-R-R-O-W.com slash upgrade. Borrow.com slash upgrade for $75 off your order. Our thanks to Borrow for their support of this show and Relay FM. And now, back to Rambo, Rambo Talk. Rambo time. More iOS features coming to the Mac, including screen time. Uh, welcome feature for me. I would love to have access to the full picture. Uh, I like screen time on iOS, but it doesn't give me everything I want to know. Um, I'm hoping that the Mac version will be able to do this, but I am concerned that it won't be able to track everything. I don't know. I mean, this yeah, this is a question. I would I would hope that it would, but the, it goes back to what I said earlier, which is I think what we'll get is something that is basic tracking. And that if you want more, you should still use a mm-hmm. time tracking app. <laughs> um, we've had one that uh, timing that has timing. sponsored this show mm-hmm. in the past. But um, you know, there it, it's always going to be the case that Apple is going to try to give you, uh, you know, uh, they're going to bite off a certain chunk, and they're going to say this is what we care about, and there will be lots of things at the edge. So maybe it doesn't measure which websites you go to or whatever, but it says you're in Safari. But being able to run all that stuff together, because I spend so much time on my Mac during the day, and so my screen time really doesn't reflect my device use. It only reflects my iOS device use. So having it be part of the pool and being able to see that as part of the the big picture, um, I think that's great. Uh, it would also bring app limits, which is a funny thing for me to think about, like app limits on the Mac. But I guess it's because I don't use the Mac well, for apps that I would want to limit, right? But but other people do. Uh, parental controls on the Mac are terrible. They they are so much better on iOS. And so what I'm hoping this might mean is that the parental control stuff is going to get better because mm-hmm. they'll have to implement screen time, which means they're then going to have to implement a more granular parental control system. So it would be because that's what I have for my kids is I have a. Uh, you know, I have a bunch of things and I can administer them all remotely from my iOS device, which is another thing that you can't really do on the Mac. Uh, you got to be on the Mac and with your administrator password. Um, so I have my kids with like, you know, you can't use your device in the middle of the night. <laughs> you need to go to bed and then you, you can't use your device. First thing, you know, if you wake up a little bit early, you need to know just sleep. You need to sleep. And then I will send some time limits on some of the apps that they use. And, you know, on the Mac, like my son also has a MacBook Air and it, it has it has the basic limits of saying after a certain time you need to not use the computer anymore. But that's about it. So uh, this could mean if it's implemented the way it is on iOS, it will mean much better parental control mm-hmm. features for 
uh, for the Mac, and that's great. But then I also think of Marco's app Quitter, right? Like there are people like he thought about this for himself on his on his Mac a while ago of closing down apps that he was wasting time on. But it's just mm-hmm. so like people do feel like they would also need this the same as screen time on iOS. It's just it doesn't sure. match with my brain because I don't ever really feel like I'm wasting time on my Mac. Like when I'm at the Mac, serious stuff is happening. But there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of uh, people who do like distraction based yeah. stuff. So being able to say like during a certain time, don't let me access Twitter or mm-hmm. something because I need to be writing or something like which that. Is, there, which there is are great. Those whole apps that like turn off your networking mm-hmm. so that you have to you have to just focus on you your no job. Choice. So I think people could use it, and it, it it would be great because the the options on the Mac right now are limited. Siri shortcuts. This is difficult. <laughs> this one's very complex. All right, so let's let's see a lot if we of can try. Going on, I yeah. I wrote a post that parsed it, and then Doctor Drang wrote a post that parsed Everyone's my post trying to that parsed it. it. Everyone's parsing. Yep. So let me try and parse it. So Guy's report says that according to his sources, there is a likelihood of the shortcuts app making its way to macOS, as there is a strong suggestion of Siri shortcut actions making their way into macOS themselves. So this is the idea of like you would be able to ask Siri to. I don't know, use like, we could set up a shortcut to open a specific find my friend's window or whatever, right? You know, you can get those like one little actions that the system recommends to you or you can create them yourself or, you know, you have an app, like for example, with Overcast, right? So Mark was just talking about Marco. So with Overcast, I have some Siri shortcuts set up on my iPhone so I can say, oh, hi, telephone, resume Overcast and it will do that, right? Like, and because it's just like a one thing. I haven't built that with the shortcuts app. This is just something the system can do. So, it is, again, we're not 100% sure how much information is known, how much information is being extrapolated. But I think what's going on is the idea is like, if Siri shortcuts exist on the Mac, then surely shortcuts will come to. Yeah, it, it, it may be a matter of time, but there's this un- lack of clarity about Siri shortcuts versus the shortcuts app. Because um, yeah, the report basically says Siri shortcuts will come and presumably shortcuts may come or something like that. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then details about how, how shortcuts will work. And it's like, do you mean Siri shortcuts? Because uh, it says shortcuts will only work with marzipan apps. And it's like, do you mean Siri shortcuts? Do you mean the shortcuts app? Surely there will be a shortcuts app at some point. Or will Siri shortcuts on the Mac let you launch services because or whatever they're called now i forget they changed the name of them but um they they added those things that are still in the services folder but they changed the name in mojave that's a possibility right it's a possibility that they could bring the the shortcuts app to the mac it's also a possibility that they could not bring the shortcuts app to the mac and just attach siri shortcuts to services which you can build in automator which they did it sounds I know it sounds weird. Like, why would they dust off Automator, which has been largely untouched? But if you look back at Mojave, the one thing that they've done in the last few years with automation on the Mac was to brush off that whole services idea and use it. And and you could like put it in the touch bar and you can put it in the finder. And it's this whole new... Uh, way of of uh, accessing the stuff that's been on the Mac since the very beginning. Um, and so it just occurs to me, it's possible that they could do something like that, where they're like, well, we got Siri shortcuts on the Mac, but they're not really the same as iOS. They're just letting you use that uh, the, the automator stuff that they, that they did. I, I hope that what we see, at least at some point, is a new version of shortcuts for the Mac, because you get that sync between iOS and Mac in terms of, you know, even if the shortcuts don't all work the same way, uh, that you have the same app on both and that you learn it on one and you can kind of figure it out on the other. And then you can basically build an automator replacement on the Mac 
by using uh, shortcuts. The also the report of marzipan apps only is really disturbing to me because if it's accurate, what you're going to have is like two totally different classes of app on the Mac that can do different things and are are controlled in different ways. And as Dr. Drang pointed out in his blog post, what if you rely on standard automation for a Mac app and then the new version of Mac OS uses a Marzipan app instead and all your automation breaks and you can't have access to it anymore because Marzipan doesn't do that. That's also a concern. Although my gut reaction to reading the story was, well, you say Marzipan only, surely part of what Apple would do is say to classic Mac app developers, here's how you implement this. Yes, in it your is app. the assumption, it is an assumption to make that an application that uses this technology has to be an iOS app through and through. Like that it, I don't, think it would be impossible to assume that this is a like a selection of APIs that people could kind of use and you could be a more classic Mac app and still use some of this functionality in some way that doesn't seem impossible to me right I mean this is this is how it's worked for years on the Mac is there have been new APIs that old apps have been able to take advantage of and it basically is like yeah you're going to have to learn to how to do this thing that requires you know things that are iOS based or marzipan based in some way and put them in your Mac app but ideally you would be able to do that because you'd, you'd want you know I would be okay with the idea that like you don't pick it up for free if you want to do this because that happened in the Mac OS 10 transition it happened you know, it, this has happened before where you're like all right you're gonna have to learn something new to get this new feature yeah like if you want to stay in in the app kit style you want to stay as a regular Mac app you can integrate with some of this stuff but it's not going to be as easy if you're bringing over an iOS app right like bring over an iOS app iOS app a lot of this stuff is just ready to go for you yeah you get it but for it, free but yeah. a, a Mac app you need to add the this iOSy thing to your Mac app mm-hmm. and then it will just work and th- and that that's really a writing on writings on the wall moment for Mac developers right which is hey we're bringing new features to Mac OS they will require you to write things that are basically iOS APIs that you will now need to support because guess what? Now they're Mac APIs too. But that's the way I would imagine that that's the way that Apple will pitch it is this is a new API for Mac OS and, and uh, Marzipan apps get it for free, but you can get it by doing this thing and not saying, sorry, Mac developers, you don't get this new basic core system functionality. That seems weird. So I'm going to, I'm going to be optimistic about that. By the way, the name of the, the automator thing that I was mentioning, it's called quick actions. They renamed it in Mojave quick actions it appears in preview it appears in the finder it appears on the touch bar so that was one thought i had is what if they don't bring shortcuts to the mac yet but they want to do siri shortcuts equivalents on the mac and what they do is they trigger it all off of quick actions um and then or or quick actions plus apps will have registered like they do on ios and those will come over um there there are some different ways that they could do that so it's all what I'm saying is it's kind of a mess because you've got the old way of doing automation on the Mac, and then you've got a potentially new way of doing automation on the Mac, and they don't really connect now. Siri doesn't do quick actions on the Mac even now, which is weird. Um, so they gotta they got to clean this up. And my gut feeling is it's not going to happen this year, right? My gut feeling is that they may do some stuff this year to get them in going in the right direction, but it's probably a multi-year process of basically sort of saying Apple Script, Automator, that's all kind of like going away and shortcuts is coming in and we're going to use shortcuts for everything. 
And, you know, if you're an old Mac app that's sticking around, you need to support shortcuts, which works this way. And that, you know, over the course of two or three years, all the old stuff is going to get deprecated. And at that point, my only request, and this is something that Dr. Drang brought up too, is on the Mac, you have this incredible power of going to AppleScript or JavaScript or to running shell scripts. And most of my shortcuts that I've wired up on my Mac that save huge amounts of time for me are some combination of shell script or Apple script, uh, sometimes embedded in Automator, and, and and kicking off those quick actions, those short, those uh, services. So um, what happens there on the Mac? Does 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 um, uh, shortcuts get more capable on the Mac, or is this a way for Apple to kind of like pull some power user automation out of the system? I don't know. I hope not. In my mind, in my dream scenario here, shortcuts the shortcuts app could be like a poster child for what I consider the perfect way that marzipan will work Mm -hmm. in that for shortcuts to exist on the Mac, it has to bring with it a lot of iOS conventions and a lot of iOS things. So like for shortcuts to exist, if Apple want that to occur, they have to bring Siri shortcuts to the Mac, right? Which makes the Mac better because now the Mac has more functionality. Siri becomes more, uh, of a level playing field amongst devices, right? And also by bringing shortcuts, it can enable more automation, which will be easier for more people because most people like myself find the existing ways of automation on the Mac to be much more complicated and harder to understand. For sure. But in wanting to make shortcuts truly useful on the Mac, they have to integrate with a lot of Mac-like stuff, which then yep. if you make shortcuts that powerful on the Mac some of that power can find its way back to iOS, right? So, like, that's why I think of it of, like, an app like Shortcuts could really be the perfect example of what we want this project to be, where it makes both systems better. Now, I know that I am drawing a real dream scenario here, but that (laughs) is my dream scenario. Well, the way I have thought about it is what would happen if Shortcuts was on the Mac. I think the way it would be built is something like, um, because the question is, like, well, how can you do, uh, do shell script? if iOS doesn't have a shell? And the answer is you make do shell script something that is tied to the terminal app. (laughs) And the terminal app, because the way shortcuts works even now is if you don't have the right apps, you can't do those things. So some apps are only on the Mac. And so some functionality will only be on the Mac. And I'm okay with that, right? Like I'd love there, I'd love to be able to run shell scripts on iOS. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Um, but, uh, But lacking that, that would be the the next best thing is just just let the Mac users do that stuff and uh, and go to town with it and then they would just not work those those workflows those shortcuts would not work on iOS and that's that's fine but you're right a lot of what we talk about about iOS infiltrating the Mac and changing it <laughs> um, is funny from the perspective of somebody who uses iOS for so much stuff now because I view it the other way too which is some of this stuff is like the Mac is so much more demanding. And the users require so much more. And as an iPad enthusiast, I look at that and I'm like, this is great. Because this forces Apple mm-hmm. in, in bringing this stuff over to do a far better job with real important features that they've kind of done halfway or if at all on the iPad. And presumably a lot of that stuff gets reflected onto the iPad too. Which means, as I said, I think last week, um, I really am loving this idea that there is this virtuous cycle 
that nobody really wants to write a pro app for the iPad because there are only so many iPad users and nobody wants to write a brand new pro app for the Mac because there's only so many Mac users. But now I could write one app and iPad users and Mac users both get it. And it's like, you know, that is, you're doubling the, the addressable market of iPad and Mac users when you do that. And uh, so I think that's the other, that's the other fun thing is that this is not, a lot of Mac users are like, oh boy, there's going to ruin the Mac by making it like iOS. And I think, well, it's going to be different, but you know what else is going to happen is that um, the Mac is going to have an influence exerted on iOS. It's going to exert its influence back, I think, Chet, which that will be is great. the thing that excites me the most. This was, I remember sitting in our hotel room at WWDC last year, looking into your eyes and saying, I am so excited for what might happen to the iPad because of this. Like, that's the thing that's always made me yeah. so excited for my iPad to get more Mac-like. Like, so iOS becomes more powerful. Yeah. And I think it's good for the Mac. I, I agree with you. Like, I think over here on Upgrade, we are big proponents of the best timeline of this, of like, that it will actually be ultimately good for everything. Um, but time will tell. Uh, yeah. And the final report as of pub, as of our recording time right now oh boy. is some information for developers. Um, so new Siri intents, including media playback, search, voice calling, event ticketing, message attachments, and travel information. So these will be things that developers can plug into uh, to be more attached into Siri. Uh, I don't know what this is going to mean yet. Like media playback, does that mean that Spotify will get what they want? Like I, Maybe. I, we don't know. And this is the thing where like, I don't even really want to talk about this so much because Siri intents, I think, have been mostly disappointing so far. Well, like, like, So media playback and search, what what this reads to me and again we we are often guilty of sort of like taking the optimist view here but what media playback and search imply to me is a dictionary that is broader than what is resident on the device right yeah like one of the things about this has always been like well how could you really do a spotify um control because they don't have access to like your catalog. And so everything is going to have to go to the cloud and be interpreted. And, you know, it, it doesn't know the names of all the musical artists. And so what's going to happen? And like search is the same way, right? Like search is arbitrary string of text. And then you kind of like send it out there. So I look at this and I think, yeah, maybe, th maybe this is Apple saying, we're going to open this up now where we're not worried anymore about having to, you know, preload a a uh, a universe of of text. Like our our text recognition engine is much better now and just throw anything at it and we'll search for it or we'll play back that music and you know, we're because I do think that was part of their reluctance to open this stuff up was just a reluctance that it would be able to figure out what you were saying. And maybe they're over it. I mean, they should have been over it years ago, but maybe mm -hmm. they're over it now. Some information about Marzipan. So there will be APIs for the touch bar, the menu bar, and keyboard shortcuts. So you're bringing over an iOS app, there will be APIs to, to plug into all of that, which is brilliant. Um, multiple windows on the Mac. So this adds to the idea of everything that's come before. You know, like what we were talking about last week, there's multiple instances on the iPad. Um, the fact yeah. that you will have APIs on multiple windows on the Mac probably means <laughs> if you have multiple windows on iOS as well, right? Um, right. Apps that use split view multitasking can be resized. This is interesting to me, Jason, because if this is the case, why is there this whole thing that Mark Gurman was talking about, about iPhone apps coming next year? 
if you can run these apps in skinny size, which is what we're expecting here, like you would you'd be able to like just drag the the window and make it smaller so it would be effectively so, iPhone column size. Here is the reason. Okay. The reason is that if you're an iPhone only app, you don't have the capability to go up to a bigger size. Well, yeah, I guess I'm thinking of it from the wrong side, aren't I? Right? It wants the it wants only apps that are like resizable which means they need to be on the iPad right, and they need right, to work sure. in all the different mm-hmm. views. If you're just a single thing, what, what they don't want, and I'm going to I'm gonna pull a John Syracuse here and throw out some old Mac knowledges, what they don't want are desk accessories, DAs, which was a thing that we had back in the old Mac days, which were little tiny apps, like the calculator was a DA. And you, you, you launched them from the Apple menu and they were these teeny tiny little windows. And they were single window apps. They were they were iPhone apps before there was an iPhone by decades. And um, that's what iPhone apps would look like. They'd be unresizable, um, little tiny things on a Mac screen. And I feel like maybe this is not a technical limitation, <laughs> but it's Apple kind of saying that's not a good experience on the Mac to have a non-resizable phone-shaped window. And so if you want to be on the Mac, you're going to need to do better than that. And then maybe we'll give you what you want next year. But uh, for now, you aren't going to get it. So that's that's my guess is that they, this is all about apps that are capable of resizing dynamically. And then on the Mac, logically, you'll resize your window. Hey, look, it resizes dynamically because it's made to do that. Quote from the article. Enabling Mac support for an existing iOS app is as easy as enabling a checkbox and the target settings in Xcode, much as you would to add iPad support to an iPhone only app. Yeah, I, I um, we've seen some developers who've basically said this makes sense because first off, you already are building Intel versions of these apps because those are what the simulator builds are. And if Marzipan is all, you know, the whole idea of Marzipan is you're not supposed to have to change your code very much. Now, this is not the same as saying... You don't need to design it. You need to design it. <laughs> all these ways that you can make it a better Mac app. But imagine that demo... At WWDC, maybe in the keynote, maybe in the State of the Union, where they take an iOS app in Xcode and check a box and run it, and it runs, and it looks fine. And then definitely in the State of the Union and in follow-up sessions, they'll say, all right, here's all the things you have to do to make this better. But please don't do that. (laughs) Right? Right? But it's like, that's the start, is to get over the hump you don't have to change 20% of your code. You check this box and you're running on the Mac. But you can be a lot better and pick up all these features that, by the way, are also in iOS 13 on the iPad by doing this. And then that's the next step. I think that's I, that feels like 100% certainty to me <laughs> that that's what they're going to do. Yep. Because it makes so much sense. Like you can check the box and get something really weird and generic, but it's fine and it runs. And then let me show you all the ways that you can make this better. And some notes on AR. Quote, brand new Swift-only framework for AR and a companion app that lets developers create AR experiences visually. So this feels like some kind of like... Uh, I don't, when, I, when I look at this, I'm like, oh, that sounds like Playgrounds. Like yeah. Swift Playgrounds, yeah, sure. but for AR. Sure. So for like all, you can create for a visual AR. experience yeah. and then you can have it into the real world. So maybe it's a like a toolkit like that, like Playgrounds is. Um, AR kit will be enhanced to detect human poses. This is interesting to me. I don't 100% know what we would do with that, but like maybe that you would be able to project something onto someone, which is kind of an interesting... Yeah, could be. Or, or have people have people play a game in yeah. part by, you know, moving. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Support for controllers with touchpads will be added. Uh, this definitely means more than just for AR. I'm not really sure why this is in the AR section. Um, this sounds like something that they're going to need for some of the games that they showed off with Apple Arcade. That like you might need to have some touch support, especially if you want to play some of these games on Apple TV. Um, could mean <laughs> new remote <laughs> right but also if you're thinking about vr you do need a the idea of you do you need a controller to like move and stuff sometimes right and, but there already interact. are controllers they don't necessarily need touchpads like the touchpad oh. thing is is an interesting uh, addition um but yeah uh, the report also references stereo ar headsets i do not know what they are yeah somebody was like oh well apple ar headset confirmed and, I, and my thought is well it could be that Apple is going to make a developer AR headset, you know, something that's expensive and it's for developers and it's to for them to uh, to build the next generation of augmented reality. Um, it's also, I think, most likely that they're talking about uh, some, and I don't know this market enough to say, but like some third-party headset basically that i guess what stereo means is stereoscopic right so like yeah it's, right no it's 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 it's, yeah. it's depth you're mm-hmm. you're you've got a different slightly different image in the left and the right and it gives you depth perception and that's what it, it's talking about here but like ar headsets like is that an apple ar headset that they're going to work on that seems premature as possible but it seems more likely that what they would do is say hey we now have support for these stereo ar headsets and uh, here's what they are Here's here's uh, the third parties that that have this. So that's it. We're all up to date. Is that's that all? Stuff. Whoa, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I again, I will uh, tip my cap to Guy Rambo for this mammoth amount yeah. of information. Huge um, data dump, like from somewhere. <laughs> from somewhere. It's come from somewhere. Um, it's definitely, I mean, I feel like we spoke about this last week too, but like, I feel like, especially as the week has gone on, this definitely feels like a combination between people and actual information. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm really, but I think that that uh, he has reported on this in a very clear and concise way. And I like the way that it's been broken out. Um, it's made it exciting, you know, it made it, it was, it were, you know, it's kind of like when Apple were releasing products every day for a week until they stopped. Um, I like that, uh, nine to five Mac went further. They, they did a whole six, seven releases. So really, it's like a really great, uh, way to get this information out. And I am super intrigued to see just how much he got right. Yeah, yeah, it it feels uh, like a really accurate thing, but of course, it's also April, and this is mm-hmm. going to happen in June mm-hmm. that the announcements are going to be made, and so stuff can drop out, stuff can get knocked out as a part of the development process. So that may happen with some of this stuff. But it is one of the things I like about this. We've been talking about this um, from a few different angles over the last year, and the more information we get, the more it becomes clear that this is not a Mac strategy. This is not an iOS strategy. This is an Apple strategy. Apple is trying to build uh, changes to how apps are built that will benefit the Mac and iOS. It's it's one story. And the windowing is a good example of that, where it's like, well, you can build windows in your iOS apps when they're on the Mac, but also you can do this on iOS that's different, but it's the same. You know, that kind of thing is happening now, where it's, this is one story. It's not two stories. Are you getting it yet? Yeah. This is one story. Yeah. 
Today's show is brought to you by Tofu Expander from our friends at Smile. Tofu Expander will let you quickly insert longer chunks of text with a quick search or abbreviation. The brand new Text Expander 6.5 is now available for Mac OS, and Text Expander 2 is available now on Windows. Both new versions are sporting a new visual editor for snippets. This editor makes it easier than ever to see and create and edit your snippet, snippet fill-ins that you can very, very simply uh, add in date and date math. It's all, like, I like it, so I can drop. It's all nice and visual. And also nested snippets as well. All of this stuff is easy to make with the new visual editor in, text, in the new version of Text Expander. If you already love Text Expander and like to tell people about it, they also now have an affiliate program as well that you can join uh, to earn something from that, which is awesome. If, like me, you're always looking for ways to be a little bit more productive, you need Text Expander in your life. It will handle your repetitive typing tasks, leaving more time for what you do best. I am a huge Text Expander fan. I've been using this app for so many years now. Um, I use it every single day for so many things. I have, we use shared groups here at Relay FM as well between uh, me and our sales manager. Like we are sharing a bunch of stuff together. So we have consistency in the way that we're saying things and, and stuff like that. Like it's really, really, really useful. I use it for myself, use it in team. Uh, it's amazing. If you want to learn more about Text Expander, go to textexpander.com slash podcast and you can find out more about it and you can sign up right there. So textexpander.com slash podcast, download it, give it a go. Our thanks to Text Expander from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. Should we do some hashtag ask upgrade questions? Sure. I've got more lasers. This comes from SM. There are tons of movie and TV streaming services that are looking to launch over the next 12 months. In five years' time, which of them do you think will still be around, or which do you think will be the top two in terms of subscribers? Oh, wow. Uh, top two. I, well, top two, I think it's it'll be Netflix and uh, Disney. Amazon. Oh. No. Mm. Amazon. Mm. Yeah, Amazon, I think there's huge numbers of Prime users, right? Like a huge percentage of the United States has Prime. So th- I think they that counts. Oh, but, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know if the top two in terms of subscribers of the things that are going to launch, um, Disney is number one. Like of the new stuff, Disney will be the biggest in, it's in terms not of- Because just that it's Disney. Yeah. They also just have an incredible amount of content, right? Like, an, an, yeah. like they have done a lot of work- by buying all the, all the shows uh, to, to make it work for them. And it's stuff people actually want to see as well, right? Like it's not just, yeah. oh, they have so much stuff, like, but it's so much good stuff. And out of the um, others that, have, that are uh, launching over the next 12 months, I think number two, I'm going to say, will be the Warner Media streaming service because they're going to roll together all the stuff that they own and they mm-hmm. own a lot of stuff, including HBO, including DC Comics. They'll do some originals. Harry Potter. This is, yeah, right? I mean, Harry Potter TV show, make it happen. Batman, <laughs> like another straight up Batman TV show. Don't yeah. hold, don't get coy and hold Batman back for the movies and make these like Titans and Gotham where it's like, it's almost Batman, but it's not really Batman. Like, no, just do it. It's time. Just do a Batman TV show and, you know, get, 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 do a Superman TV show. Like get all of your intellectual property and bring it to bear. And they have so much of it. They're not Disney, but I think that Warner Media with their new hires, with the changes they're making, it's going to take them a little time, but I think they're coming to play. And so I think they're going to, they're going to be, um, fairly successful of the, of the new ones, I think, but Disney clearly, uh, will be the most of the new ones. I didn't mention Apple. Yeah. It's unknown, right? Uh, not in the top two. That's what I'm going to say. But we'll see. Uh, Sakaris asks, can we get an update on hashtag Roomba life? Are you both still satisfied customers? I am. Yeah. I My Roomba runs most every day and uh, only occasionally sends an alert that it's eaten something. Or stuck on a cliff. 
Still my favorite. Jamie said, uh, "Jamie said your robot ate my shoes." <laughs> it's true, and <laughs> it's wound up one of her uh, one of her shoelaces because uh, I guess she took her shoes off after I had cleared the area. Because that's the thing that I try to do is clear the area. Yeah, you got to make the in puff. advance mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Uh, of the Roomba launching. But door uh, wedges it, in the doors. Up Pick up the rugs. You know, I got my little yeah. I got my little uh, my little beam that I put in the hallway so that it doesn't go past a certain point or I close certain doors and uh, and get the, the house ready. But, you know, it fills up that little dirt container with just huge amounts of dust and, and pet hair and stuff like that every time. And so it, you know, it's not just a, a noisemaker that roams around my house and disturbs the dog and the cat. It is actually doing something. And so uh, I think it's great. I wish... When this one dies, I will I will seriously consider upgrading to one of the ones that like completely maps your house because yeah. I can see the appeal of saying, "Hey, uh, Roomba, go clean the hallway," uh, and have it just pop off its perch and go yeah, where it needs too. to go and I run wish, there yeah. and then go back home. I, I can see the appeal of that, but as a first, like, it's like this is a nice bookend for the electric car thing. Like, I got a starter Roomba; it's good. I like it. And same for you? Same for you? Oh, 100%. We love our Roomba. Uh, We use it all the time. And, you know, it's it's a real nice to have. It is not an essential thing in a home, but it is a real nice to have. It is a a lovely luxury. Well, I'm just not sweeping the floors every day. And I'm sure if I swept the floors and vacuumed the rugs every day, I wouldn't need it. But I do not do that. So, and, and I am here when the rest of my family is not. So even though I have it on a schedule, that one of the nice things is I can go out there sort of before or after lunch and I can move all the stuff around. And and sometimes I even just press the button right then and run it because I'm out here. It's in there with nobody but the dog and the cat who are not thrilled, but they have learned to deal and it does its work and the house is cleaner. So it's good. Uh, John asks, what do you use to make the robot on not theme music, Jason? This is not John Syracuse. Robot or not, we've been going through a lot of themes that are by listeners, so I don't know. They send in weird Robot or Not music and we use it. The original theme and the end theme are by Lex Friedman. I think he did it all in GarageBand. Um, I did a theme a few weeks ago that I did and I used Logic for it, um, but it's it's from all over the place. But I, I'm pretty sure that Lex's version is just GarageBand. And finally today, Phil asks, now that it's basically on all of the iPads, do you think that Apple will bring some version of pencil support to the iPhone? I don't. I don't because I think that they brought it to all the iPads and that Apple is considering the pencil and iPad differentiator. It would require them, I think, to design a new pencil, which they've already done, that is not as long because that long pencil is kind of really awkward to use with a, I would think, with a small phone. So I think I'm going to, we, we expressed our hopes about this a while ago, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to change now having seen what Apple has done with the iPad line. That actually makes me think it's less likely that it'll come to the iPhone. I'm still holding out hope, not based on any reason that I think it will happen, just because I want it to happen. Just for hope. Yeah. All right. Just for hope. For hope for hope's sake, you know? That'd be cool. That'd be cool. They, it's all there. It. They could do it. They could do it. And and like we said about adding a mouse to iOS, like it doesn't have to be a mainstream feature. It can be something that the the people who really really want it, you give it to them. The software is there on on iOS already because it's there for the iPad. So you could put it in there and not have it be, you know, a, a banner feature. But like, yes, if you have an Apple Pencil, you can use it with the iPhone too. That's fine. I I think they could do it, but I don't know. My guess now is no. All right, that's it for this week's episode of Upgrade. I would like to extend my thanks to Gammy Rambo for filling up an entire episode for us. Yes, much appreciated. Special guest, Guy Rambo. (laughs) 
Uh, thanks so much to Text Expander, Borrow, and Move for their support of this episode. You can find show notes and information about today's show over at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 242. You can find Jason online at sixcolors.com and theincomparable.com. Jason is the host of many Relay FM shows like me. You can go to relay.fm slash shows and find the stuff that myself, Jason, and many other talented individuals uh, put together um, on a weekly basis. Uh, for your podcast listening enjoyment. Uh, we'll be back next time. Until then, follow Jason online at uh, Twitter. On Twitter is at JasonL, at J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Um, but we'll be back next week. Hashtag AskUpgrade for questions at the end. Hashtag SnellTalk for questions at the beginning. Until next time, Jason, say goodbye, Mr. Snell. Goodbye, Mr. Hurley. <laughs>